0: Hello world singers! My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations.
1: Conversations. back for episode 16 a continuation of our last episode where we brought to you all of the key characters from Oathbringer that have the last name Colin but there's a bunch of other characters that we need to get through
0: that's true the Colin family is big but doesn't include these people
1: and for at least not yet. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, we do have Shalon kind of joining the Colins through marriage. So yep. I guess the Colin family is ever expanding.
0: And I did think, in a weird way, Kaladin is like a little bit like Dalinar's son in Oathbringer.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have uh, a deep relationship between them. Obviously, kind of starting with. Kaladin saving Dalinar, and then Dalinar saving Kaladin, uh, and then becoming the Knight's Radiant combo. So you do have kind of a a deep familial-like bond growing between all of these characters. And I think that's part of the reason why so many people enjoy these character relationships, because they are kind of uh, developing more as the books continue, but they're also, like, heartfelt and, and... deep relationships.
0: Yeah, definitely. They're satisfying.
1: We are going to go through, in the same way we did last week, several of the characters from Oathbringer and kind of hit the arcs that they experience throughout the story. Last week, we started with a quote and we kind of saw it as one of the uniting themes Throughout Oathbringer, that all of these characters are kind of dealing with similar issues. Brooke, could you read for us that quote one more time and just maybe talk about the significance?
0: Yeah. Quote, I will take responsibility for what I have done, Dalinar whispered. If I must fall, I will rise each time a better man. End quote. And to me, I think that that just sort of encompasses a similar philosophy that a lot of these character arcs are exploring in different ways. Obviously, we see Dalinar embracing that arc in, you know, a very specific and concrete way, Um, but I think that each of these characters sort of explores um, a different aspect of that same idea.
1: Yeah, the idea of failing and coming to terms with past failures... Or or present failures, and I think that the individual that is probably dealing with some of the most extreme versions of failure in Oathbringer is Kaladin, who you know started Way of Kings as kind of the primary focus, uh, and then each book has kind of jumped to different characters as the primary focus. But Kaladin is where we started and where many people kind of originally got into Stormlight Archive following Kaladin's arc. He's a troubled individual, always has been a troubled individual. And without going into like years of background about Kaladin, (laughs) I do want to keep us like pretty tight on just what happened in Oathbringer, but I think it's just kind of important to remind everyone That as long as we have known Kaladin, even in the flashbacks, he does seem to be an individual that has struggled with depression in one way or another. I think the most obvious in the flashbacks is with uh, like seasonal depression. Yeah, I was going to say definitely
0: seasonal depression. I like there's a really nice moment in Oathbringer When it's raining and he's thinking about how the rain makes him feel so crappy, I'll drop the quote here. Quote Perhaps it was time, for once, to stop letting the rain dictate his mood. He couldn't banish the seed of darkness inside him, but Stormfather, he didn't need to let it rule him either. End quote. And I really connected with that, because like Kaladin, I do not like rainy, overcast weather. It makes me really sad. It always surprises me how good I feel when the sun finally comes out again. So I just connected with that, and I thought it was a nice marker of growth in Kaladin as well, that he sort of recognized that he is powerful and like has the ability to fight against these things that make him feel not good or fight against you know external things and stand up for him himself and make a better life for himself. Um, And I think that's a theme that we see with Kaladin throughout Oathbringers. He sort of embraces his power and embraces who he is and who he's become.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Specifically, we see this early on with Kaladin. I think it's like chapters five through eight or so in the book is that Kaladin is racing home uh, to hopefully... Save and warn his family, his mother and father, uh, as well as the people of Hearthstone, his home village, not even really like a a major city. But he fails. He fails at that. His goal was to get back before the Everstorm uh, swept over.
0: Yeah, and he misses that by a long shot, like if days. I remember right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so he he runs out of Stormlight. He ends up just having to walk back through the weeping rain to just kind of drizzle, uh, which affects his depression. He's pretty down when he arrives. He's expecting everything to be destroyed. He's expecting the Voidbringers to have um, killed many of the people that he grew up with. And instead he returns to the mansion of one of or a couple of the the big moments in his early life where is it Rashone? Is that yeah, Rashone the village keeper or whatever. He's hanging out and Kaladin has this moment when he like punches Rashone in the face and is like a Rashone small time. I really shouldn't be worrying about him so much. But I think the big moment that Kaladin has when he's back in Hearthstone is obviously meeting up with his family, but then revealing himself as a night radiant to the people and his mother and father, as well as their their newborn son, a uh, little baby Kaladin's brother. And he has this moment where he basically says, like, I can't leave these people with darkness. I can't leave them with sadness and he instead has this kind of triumphant moment he like flies up in the air and starts glowing (laughs) and his mom has glory spread coming off of her her or offspring and it's just a super nice moment to start the book on with like kaladin on an upper uh yeah (laughs) and having this nice moment but as oathbringer continues i found one of the most interesting things about kaladin's arc is how, how connected he feels to basically anyone, uh, including Voidbringers, including the the Parshman who he comes across shortly after that moment.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the biggest uh, conflicts that he comes across in this book is that As he has sort of expanded his circle, gotten to know more people, more different kinds of people and and let them in and let them affect him, he comes into this conflict of how do you protect people when the people you're trying to protect are on all different sides and all of those sides are fighting each other and they're not compatible. Like He can't protect one side without hurting the other side and he loves them all.
1: And I find that obviously is like a beautiful sentiment, but it's also a tiny bit surprising. I mean, I don't think that we see many characters who, in the kind of complex way that Kaladin is experiencing this, who just have almost like a universal love. I mean, it doesn't come across really as love in the most like traditional sense, but I like, I find this as like an interesting point about Kaladin and Oathbringer is just like, dude, cannot stop caring about people.
0: Yeah. I, and I think that's why for me, this is my favorite book in terms of Kaladin because I relate to that very deeply. Like, this really intense empathy where he truly understands the point of view of, Everyone, like he understands why the Parshmen feel the way they do. They he understands why uh, the Alethi feel the way they do. He understands Elokar and everything that Elokar is trying to do. Um, and it's overwhelming.
1: Absolutely, and he has a experience early on with the a group of Parshmen that throws everything that we know into chaos specifically that the Parshman are not uniformly turning into the same type of, war form that we saw from the Parshendi.
0: Yeah, and picking up from the end of uh, Words of Radiance, you know, since then I've just been thinking in my brain like, oh my god, they're just going to be all these monsters ravaging everything. And then we see them and they're basically like normal Alethes.
1: I think the strangest thing for me, understanding the complexity that was shown in Oathbringer is we don't really know what the desolation is or what these experiences that have happened in the past. For me, I had the image of the Parshendi as even when we saw their perspective, Venli or Eshenai, I still saw them as you know, different from human, uh, you know, separate. And in Oathbringer, basically any time we saw the listeners, they were presented basically as human. And actually a couple of uh, drawings, I don't think they were necessarily canon drawings or, or done by the professional artists that Brandon hires, but a couple of drawings that just like fans did that showed the listeners as very very humanoid and it's not what I envisioned in my head but it's also not incorrect like really
0: yeah I always saw them as like basically human just with like the marbled skin and they have a little bit of like thicker um stature I guess
1: yeah even though that's the description like I'm saying I'm wrong in, in the way that my brain but they were not human to me or humanoid to me mm-hmm. until Oathbringer. Uh, even when we had like Esh and i's perspective, I still didn't envision them in my brain as a, a similar thing to yeah. the humans. Well, and
0: I think that's what like Kaladin comes across is just yes. like, oh my gosh, these people. And then he notices that they are behaving the same. They're like playing a card game and they have kids that they care about in the same way and like they speak the same way because they've been immersed in a lethe culture
1: and from what we learn in oathbringer is basically that all of the listeners all of the parchment across the the realm of rashar have adopted the personas of the people that they were you know slaves under as as they're t- like Thalen Parshmen act like Thalen people Alethi right. Parshmen act like Alethi
0: yeah because that's all they've known exactly. it's not like they grew up in the listener culture like as far as they're concerned they're a Alethi that's that's their entire identity
1: and so I just really loved Kaladin's experience of learning that because I felt like I was learning it at the same time
0: yeah I agree it's a nice
1: reveal and of course, so much of the tragedy that Kaladin goes through is having this experience of like learning the, we can call it humanity. We could call it like learning to recognize the existence of a soul in like the listener species. But he recognized this. And then at basically every opportunity throughout the book, fails to protect the people that he cares about and he loves and that is basically Kaladin's experience I
0: was gonna say that's like Kaladin's kryptonite too because that's his thing is protecting people
1: I mean it's one of the ideals uh that he has to swear they all revolve around like protection but Kaladin Just looking at Kaladin's story, Oathbringer is very depressing. Uh, I mean, it is just bad, like, top to bottom. He has this one high point in the beginning. Yeah, it's
0: kind of the only one where he doesn't really end on a high note, huh? Like, he doesn't, like, triumph in the end. In
1: fact, so we have the early stage of the book when he's like away from the main group he eventually gets back to the main group they agree to go to Colinar. he like rallies around the city guard and he has this moment when he's like leading like 500 people back to the base all from the city and adolin is just like ah, bridgman he's probably their leader now <laughs> it's just, and it's like a it's a high moment but it doesn't last because yeah. that is going to be, Kolinar is going to be the site of his biggest failure as he is trying to protect elicar protect his friends in the city guard against the listeners that he befriended at the beginning of the story and so
0: yeah it's like his worst nightmare like everyone that he knows all of a sudden shows up in the same place and they all start fighting each other
1: and it is oh and moash and and eventually obviously moash is going to come in and make that
0: even worse even yeah i mean
1: dang you moash (laughs) there are more expletives that we could throw out about (laughs) moash but we'll leave that for another moment
0: you guys probably already know the hashtag that's going around so (laughs) for
1: sure a la game of thrones uh borrowing hashtags from that universe as well but he has this moment when everyone's around everybody is fighting and it is you said like a nightmare, his nightmare. And that is exactly the experience I had as I was reading. I was like, oh, uh, this is just awful. As portrayed, it's just like Kaladin looking at all of these people dying and like slashing and stabbing each other. Yeah.
0: And he's just like, there's someone I love. Oh, they're dad. Yeah. There's someone I love. They're fighting another person I love. And there's then, another person I love. Like, and there's just chaos and violence everywhere.
1: And Elikar's... Dart saying the words, the first ideal. (laughs) Moash comes in, and Kaladin's like, Moash, no, no, Moash. And then Moash kills. It's like in slow mo. Yeah, and everything is just really bad, and it breaks Kaladin. I mean, Kaladin has obviously had the very low points before he was a slave yeah like (laughs) he's gone through so
0: much and he has hit i feel like what everyone thought including Kaladin himself thought was rock bottom yeah i mean he went to
1: the edge of the uh the pit. yeah the honor chasm yes the honor chasm uh and it you know was going to commit suicide i think in that moment he doesn't say the first ideal but he he does have um kind of a understanding and then reckoning in the first book. But we thought that was his low point, and this just feels so much worse. And it's made clear that it is so much worse because of Kaladin's failure to say the fourth ideal at the end of the book. Specifically because of like where he's at psychologically um, after this kind of devastating moment of that I think ends like part three of the book.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. But I think this is kind of a cool... I mean, maybe that's not the right word. But I think this is a poignant parallel in a way to like a recovery process. Like I think we've mentioned a few episodes back, sort of a running motif through this book of addiction, different mm-hmm. kinds of addiction. Yeah. Um, and that recovery process of like... It's not a straight line up if you're recovering from anything, whether it's an eating disorder or depression or PTSD, like doesn't matter what it is, like you're going to relapse and you're going to like have moments when you're not, uh, you know, consistently moving forward. It's like that two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. So I think that this is kind of a cool parallel there.
1: Well, I think you're 100 percent correct but just think about how rare that is in a story in a movie in oh, a Oh yeah, like, absolutely. It just doesn't it happens all the time in the real world. It happens all the time to like you and I and listeners out there, but it's not something that's often portrayed. Right. The we don't see that the hero's story is basically like, you know, you start at one place, you begin your journey, you fall maybe once, and then you pick yourself back up and you right. have your heroic moment. Yeah, like, yeah. It's basically like you you go down and then you go up, and yeah. then you end on a high And
0: that's the character arc. And yeah, Because then the movie ends, and like, the end.
1: But Kaladin, it feels right now like where we left him. Maybe not at the very end of the book. He, he has kind of a...
0: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely doing better yeah. by the end, but... As it's you not, not said, great. like, he doesn't say the fourth ideal.
1: Even as he is looking once again, this is now at the Battle of Thalen City, he's experiencing that same thing, watching his friends die, watching the Sadius's army fight against the Colin army. So you have this experience and he's looking around. He's like, I know I have to protect these people. I know that's my, my thing. I know that's what I'm supposed to do as a knight radiant and it seems like it, we're going to have another one of these triumphant moments when Kaladin says an ideal and bursts into light and saves I think the that's day.
0: actually in Shadesmar when he almost says it.
1: Okay, so yeah, right right before the Yeah, the like before begins.
0: they drop into the battle, yeah.
1: And he fails. He basically can't say the ideal.
0: Yeah, and is like, come on, Kaladin, do it. Yeah. Like, you're ready. And he's like, I will. And he like, he just can't.
1: Now, what ends up happening, and it's, I think, a quite a beautiful way to handle failure. It must be nice to have a sill around, <laughs> but Syl does say, you know, Kaladin, maybe you don't have to save everybody this time. Maybe someone else can save you. And that's when uh, I think Dalinar is going to merge the three realms together. Yeah, I think you're right. And so... Kaladin has his big gigantic fight against Amaram. We talked about that last week. So much going on in the fight itself. Yeah. And like at, and in Thalen City in general. Uh, that stone and it we believe it was one of the unmade, right? That uh Amaram ingests.
0: Oh yeah, it definitely is.
1: And that gives them what we think is all of the power of the surges. There may have been some that he like didn't have, or some that he did have. It, I think it, it was... sure
0: seemed like he had them all, maybe like plus some, <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe some resonance points going on. Because I
0: remember like being confused because, you know, at first he like starts flying, but then he like exhibits some of the same things that Lift can do and is like sliding around. And I remember just being like, "Wait, what? What are you?"
1: <laughs> the heroes are victorious, I suppose. You know, it's a I mean, it's a, it's a downer of a book. Like, I, I honestly don't think that there is a bunch of happiness. I do think that this was a lot of tragedy. We have a tiny bit of joy coming from, like, Dalinar's storyline, but there's, there's a lot. But his storyline is rough, too. Yeah, and <laughs> it's not like we come out of Oathbringer and... Everything is okay. Yeah, I mean, there's we're basically looking down the pipe of like a long, drawn out war between various different sides. Like economies are going to struggle. Religion and the religious fight is mm-hmm. going to pick up. You have Taravangian uh, like joining Odium. so it's just like seems just like bleak outlook. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it, it's tough, and I think we talked about this in our first Oathbringer. Breakdown. It's just like there's a lot of sadness going on. And I think Kaladin embodies that perspective. And then to not get overwhelmed by that, we jump to the different perspectives. Mm. Like, for example, Shalon. Did you want to say anything before we move on to Shalon?
0: Um, no, I don't think so.
1: Okay, because Shalon is obviously, I would say, our second main character. She's the star of Words yeah. of Radiance. She does a lot in Oathbringer. Absolutely, I, and I think that in Oathbringer, she also has a lot of important growth as a character, and hint, hint, I also think she has the most growth as a Knight's Radiant. We'll talk about that. Do you think In a so? moment. We'll do, in, I, in a moment. Let's go through her, her <laughs> character first before I start speculating on the Knight's Radiant stuff. Well, uh,
0: just in terms of growth, I mean, I feel like I actually don't see her growing all that much in Oathbringer. I think that Oathbringer is kind of like... A catalyst for change. Yeah, exactly. I think this is all the crap that you go through before you go through a big like growth spurt personally you know there's always that moment where you're just like everything is a disaster i'm just in this like soup of awfulness and then after that you're like
1: boop 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 boop, boop level up i like the uh, mario call the sounds <laughs> thank nice. you thank you but we have Shalon who comes out of words of radiance as one of the only uh, other than kaladin the other night radiant that is known about uh, she is incredibly significant for the war effort and as a member of you know, Dalinar's new team that he's building, and yet in the beginning of the book, we see her as very dismissive and uh, she's kind of ignoring a lot of what's going on with the war effort and the economy of Urithiru. She is off doing her own thing a little bit, which eventually I think we figure out is her building up her squires, Uh, but she's like, she's not a hundred percent in the effort uh, of the...
0: Yeah, I mean, I think sort of similar to Renarin, she is like trying to figure out what her place is because who she thought she was, like the niche that she thought that she fit for most of her life. She is now sort of rethinking. Yasna's not there to like manage her studies. And she's kind of like, I don't know, is it really important to study right now? There seems to be more important things. um, Discovering new things about herself. And she doesn't really know what to do with all of it or like where she fits in.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, I did not like Shallan in the beginning of the book. I was struggling to see the significance of what she was going through. But as part one and part two turn into part three and part four, it really starts to make sense. She has a big moment early. I think it might be part two, maybe even part one, where she is going to lead a group of mainly Bridgmen and maybe Adolin's with them uh, down into the depths of Urithiru, where they will face off against the one of the unmade, the Midnight Mother.
0: Yeah, I thought that was one of the coolest moments. I just really liked that Shalon got to do that. And I think that battle can tell us a lot about the unmade
1: which we explored in, I think, episode 13, so you can go back and listen <laughs> to all of our unmade theories. What's uh, the name of the Midnight Mother, the real name?
0: Re Shafir.
1: Shafir, there we go. And Re Shafir is banished, but not defeated by Shallan, right? We, we don't think that... Shallan killed Rish Shafir, right?
0: That, yeah, I would say that's probably true. We don't really get a confirmation either way. Shallan just kind of opens her eyes and it's not there anymore. But yeah, I would say that's probably a good guess.
1: One of the most important things that precedes facing off with the Midnight Mother is a story that Shallan tells that will be her story throughout Oathbringer that continually comes up and that is the girl who looked up we briefly talked about this story before but it is significant to understand we have the girl who's in a city that's surrounded by a big gigantic wall and nobody knows what the wall is for nobody knows why it's there the girl keeps asking questions she eventually climbs the wall that's difficult uh, she gets to the top. She goes down some stairs and she finds light. She finds specifically Stormlight to return to her people. And Shalon tells this story originally, and it's going to come up again with everybody's friend Wit or Hoid. But this story of the girl who looked up is also Shalon's story. It's a it's a mirror. I feel like it's a tiny story inside of the bigger story.
0: How but do you think it reflects Shalon
1: I think that the concept of a girl who feels uh, trapped or surrounded by a lack of knowledge or a lack of uh, the correct people around her and then goes off on her own to kind of have this triumphant... Uh, you know climbing climbing of the wall finding the stormlight returning it to her people but the way that the story is told both by Shalon at different times and by Wit at, at different times I think is really what's important I think as we return and kind of reread and re-listen to Oathbringer we'll find that as that story changes, as different aspects are emphasized in that story, it's hinting at changes that the characters themselves are experiencing as well.
0: Mm, yeah, and I think that's that's a pretty good call because when Shalon uh thinks and speaks about her childhood and her home life, she talks about like darkness encompassing the house, sort of so I think you're spot on with sort of relating that to her.
1: One of the things that is often made most clear in Shallan's story is this theme of failure. I mean, we've talked about Dalinar's failure. We've talked about Kaladin's failure. Uh, and Shalon experiences this as well, specifically in Kolinar.
0: Yeah, I think Shallan's whole storyline is sort of uh, like an early version of dalinar's storyline sort of she's trying to make peace with things that she's done in the past she's not doing that very well she's running away from it just like dalinar did with alcohol um shallan's sort of running away from it with magic
1: (laughs) that's a really good call like shallan's addiction is her magic yeah and i think that we have talked so much about addiction with Teft and fire moss, Dalinar and alcohol, but we did not mention that basically what Shalon is dealing with is magic addiction and uh, the different effects of that addiction is now I want to go reread the whole thing and just think of like and kind of watch Shalon develop this addiction. Yeah. Because that's what it is.
0: Yeah, it's. I don't think I really like put those pieces together until now, but she uses it exactly like, you know, a drug a addict drug, yeah. would. Yeah, where she comes across uh, circumstances that might be a little bit stressful, and sh- her thought is automatically, I can't do this by myself. I need something to supplement me.
1: Yes. Uh, man, I am just flabbergasted that I didn't, catch. We talked so much about addiction. I literally was like weeping (laughs) at Tef's addiction and Dalinar.
0: And there are like subtle
1: themes of it throughout the book that we talked about. Yeah, but I mean, you're you're 100% accurate that she is latching on to light weaving as if it is a drug. It is her drug, her escape, and her joy. I mean, she literally becomes veil right she remains
0: in these exterior characters for days weeks at a time
1: to experience you know a joy that she is not experiencing as it's no different than teft uh, getting high yeah or dalinar getting drunk exactly it's like nice call nice call (laughs) so
0: beautiful good writing brandon
1: It's not us. We didn't, we didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. We're just, like, unpeeling the layers of this magnificent story. And we have talked last week, or two weeks ago, episode 14, with uh, Hoyt about how he joins Shallan during her lowest point and kind of enhances her own light weaving, and that's when she starts to go from her lowest point and and rise back up yeah
0: she definitely i don't think she rises very far i agree. she like barely pulls herself up, but she does, which is good, but I do love um what Hoyd says to her in that moment quote You mostly failed. this is life. The longer you live, the more you fail. Failure is the mark of a life well lived in turn, the only way to live without failure is to be of no use to anyone end quote and I just thought that was like a nice sentiment of like, yeah, you did. You failed. It's kind of a moment. Pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We kind of uh, it's like a moment to expect sort of a, a motivational speech. And Hoyt does not deliver that, really. He's like, yeah, you're right. You 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 didn't do good. Not great. <laughs> not great, kid. But like you're alive and you're trying, which I think is also the heart of the first ideal.
1: One of the things that to me is most interesting about Shalon's use of magic is that one she gets a lot better at it yeah during this i mean we see a bunch of kind of new or just enhanced versions of her light weaving uh whether it's joining with dalinar to create the interactive map of rashar or teaching and training uh her I mean, they're her squires. But mm-hmm. uh, we they start apprentices. Out, yes, they start out as you know the uh, the characters that it's very easy to dismiss of. Oh, that's the scoundrel, or or that's the right. runaway. Yeah, uh, with with one eye. But we have. Oh,
0: I love that Gaz like gets so into it,
1: <laughs> and he, it's great to see. A Character who is not even secondary, I mean, he's tertiary. Yeah, from the very first book, we had Gaz, and we still have Gaz, and he's he's changed and grown. And you know, we could tell a whole spin off series just about Gaz. <laughs> yeah, that's that, true. It's an interesting story. Like, Gaz yeah. has got a lot going on, and it, it's complex. And he's not even
0: like in that much. <laughs>
1: Oh no, no, like we don't we don't know a whole bunch about gas. It was mentioned here and there. Like we know more about rock than we do about gas.
0: No, but I mean that's what I'm saying. It's like she's so not even in it that much, and yet Brandon has managed to weave in like so many good details that we feel like, yeah, I could do a gas spin off.
1: <laughs> so Shalon's powers are escalating and they're increasing, but part of what she is dealing with Is I hesitate to give specific psychological. Disorders, But like I see it as like a split personality type of thing that she is struggling with.
0: I know a lot of people are like kind of throwing that around on the Internet as well. Like, oh, obviously Shalon has multiple personality disorder. And I mean, I am not a licensed therapist, (laughs) but it's always been my impression that if you have multiple personality disorder, you're not like aware of it.
1: Well, I don't think she has multiple personality disorder. I think what you said about it being a drug or an addiction yeah. is closer to what's going on. But the way that it's manifesting with these three distinct personalities and characters, I do think is important. So we have Shalon, the girl who killed her mother and father. We have Vale. Who first appeared in Words of Radiance? Yeah, and as, she
0: comes up as sort of a lower class version of Shallan that can mix with the Ghost Bloods. Like that was her original purpose was like Ghost Bloods go between veil,
1: yeah, absolutely. And she is defined in part by the big gigantic hat that she wears and I yeah. think the white and red yeah cloak. white uh, coat. Yeah, and then we have Radiant or brightness radiant uh this is from Shalon's perspective
0: herself as yasna yeah kind of <laughs> I mean, yeah
1: the the hero Shalon. the
0: she's like very stately and poised um always sure of herself and like sophisticated
1: what i think is most interesting in terms of Shalon's power growth is obviously what happens with Wit during uh, his version of the telling of the story of the girl who looked up, when I mentioned this in episode 14, Shalon's light weaving power is kind of like augmented reality where there's little holograms that dance around on top of the real world, but you're still aware of the real world. And it's like, you know, the map that Dalinar can see, but you're still, you still know that you're in a room looking at a holo or a light weaved map. But when Hoyd boosts her power it's like virtual reality when they like step into the story and the walls disappear and vanish and it and it's much more realistic when Hoyt is giving her that boost so that's like big power moment number one
0: and then that she's able to use it again later in the the battle yeah so
1: during the battle she is able to create hundreds if not thousands of of soldiers to assist the Colin army against Sadius's army and importantly she gives the soldiers weight or she gives them they
0: have like physical substance yes
1: physical substance great way to say it because they are able to actually not fight or like kill anybody but to kind of put up a momentary challenge to a real individual yeah they're harder to get through yeah exactly they swing a sword and the sword actually bounces off maybe not infinitely and they're obviously not complex but it might be like you know instead of a
0: Previously, like, you waved your hand and it, like, disintegrated. Now they can hold up against at least a couple swings of the sword before they go away.
1: And Shalon specifically mentions that she believes this is a combination between her two powers of...
0: Illumination and transformation.
1: Excellent. Those are the surges. Uh, yeah. And so she does think that it is kind of a combo resonance point between her two powers, That's a huge power-up. But then I think the most interesting thing that happens to Shallan, and this is is not coming from me directly. I did pull this off of uh, the Stormlight Archive Reddit.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of people theorizing about this, so I don't feel bad reiterating it because it's been said a lot.
1: (laughs) So I think because I agree with the person from Reddit, I think that Shalon is the first Knight's Radiant that we have seen who has manifested Shardplate. I think that at the end of the book, the way that Shalon presented it is that all of her personas, shalon Vale, and Radiant, were all creating light-weaved soldiers with you know, that weight we talked about, but then...
0: And I think they're like holding hands, aren't they? Yes,
1: mm-hmm. and, and so they're all kind of working together and simultaneously. But then when... I think it's Yasna. Yeah, I think it is. Who comes out to meet Shalon after the battle is over. She goes up to Shalon, Shalon, the one that she believes is like in the middle and is the main Shallan. Normal Shallan. Yeah. And that Shalon. Is light woven and it disintegrates when Yasna approaches her. And I don't then think so. It does. And then she looks to Veil vale, and Veil vale disintegrates, and the thing that is left, the person that is left, the last Shalon is radiant, standing splendid in her shard plate, and then the shard plate uh, disintegrates around Shalon. The last Shalon that appears is radiant in shard plate. And we there's so much going on that it's easy to overlook that, but now you're you're doubting me, so we're going to have to do some mid-show research. Yeah,
0: I don't think that's right.
1: So, we just did some research and we have uh polled and now I want to give the shout out to the actual Reddit user. This is user Ray745 on the Reddit who pointed out this theory that Shallan is the first Knights Radiant we see in full shard plate. From the actual book, here's the quote Quote That should buy us a few moments. Yasna turned toward Radiant, Vale, and Shallan. She took Shallan by the arm, but Shallan wavered, then puffed away. Yasna froze, then turned to Vale. Here, Radiant said, tired stumbling to her feet she was the one yasna could feel she blinked away tears are you real yes shalon you did well out there end quote
0: and it mentions earlier in that passage that radiant is wearing glowing garnet shard plate
1: so the theory is presented i believe first by ray 745 that Shalons, our first Knight's Radiant to manifest Shardplate in this battle of Thalen City. And we also know that she does not have to say additional ideals in the same manner that other Knights Radiant do. So it also makes sense that she didn't have like one triumphant moment where she said some words and then manifest Shardplate. She's able to do it with her Like the sacrifice of truths by telling.
0: Yeah, she speaks truths. And, well, and she was ahead of most of the other budding Knights Radiance. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, by the time we see her in the first book. So,
1: those are our two big characters, but we still have some more to round out this episode.
0: I mean, I do want to just quickly mention Shalon's relationship with Adeline.
1: Oh, of course, because because that is his
0: role in her story I think is just really sweet and really important and I love that he is able to see her even when she's like trying to disguise herself and she feels like I'm not good enough for this amazing man like I don't know why he loves me but he does Um, and she tries to hide from him and he is always like wait nope there there you are and it's just super sweet and I love it
1: yeah, when they get married at the end of the book, Adolin has this to say about Shallan, you don't have to hide Shallan, you don't have to push it down. Maybe the vase is cracked, but that only means it can show what's inside, and I like what's inside, end quote. So cute. It is cute. Anything else we want to add about Shalon? No, that's it. Okay, so moving on to Terravangian. terravangian definitely a minor player in Way of Kings and Words of Radiance. I mean,
0: is Teravangian ever a minor player? A <laughs> minor
1: player? player compared to odium uh yeah no no, you're totally right he <laughs> Shots is fired he, he is definitely uh, a significant mover in the world of rashar in terms of screen time we only see him in way of kings and words of radiance in the interludes interludes uh where in Oathbringer he is you know quite apparent throughout many people's storyline. Mm-hmm. Dalinar's most obvious. Yeah. Uh, but but even in other characters mention interactions with Terra as well. So important things that happen in Oathbringer with Taravangian. One, he is the first leader to join Dalinar's alliance.
0: I mean we know why.
1: Absolutely. I mean <laughs> he's working uh to at that point he is working to become king of all humans on Rishar. He already has two kingdoms under his belt. Through the use uh, of Zeth as the assassin, he was able to put himself on the throne of a second kingdom. And he joins the alliance to hopefully take power. But what I found so interesting about Teravangian's storyline is how much doubt was put in to what had originally been presented the diagram as a kind of creation of near perfect future site
0: yeah well and i think it brings up a good point of like if a genius writes something as a genius like It's hard for not geniuses to really comprehend what it is saying, which is the problem that Jan comes across as, like, I wrote this, but I'm not 100% sure that I'm interpreting it the right way or, like, reading it the right way because I am no longer a genius that wrote this.
1: Well, and he has a near genius day in Oathbringer. It's... using the phrase genius to mean his highest point ever when he created the diagram. He has a near genius day. What is interesting about that day is that one, he purposefully does not finish his test to see how how much power he's allowed to have because
0: he knows that they'll take away his power if he passes. I, I just love
1: that aspect that like, previous Taravangian was like, if you are too smart, you don't get as much power. Yeah. Like just being intelligent does not lead you to make the best decisions. Well,
0: and I think especially because he knows that his intelligence is inversely related to his compassion. and He knows that that could be bad.
1: And so he kind of purposefully does not complete his test, hinting that he should not be making any changes to the diagram, but then he makes a bunch of changes to the diagram and And what we find out is that this has happened not just like once before, but this may have happened a couple of times before because not only is it remarked by his advisors that he has changed the diagram previously, but there's even a passage about how his advisors disagreed with the way he changed the diagram. Right. And so they like branched off.
0: Yeah, they,
1: they he like his advisor branched off and went off to do his own thing following like the OG diagram before Teravangian. It's weird when you start to try to put together this concept of like, oh, we had this perfect diagram that told the future. And now teravangian has been taking advantage of it. But wait. He's also been changing the diagram over and over again. The diagram's been wrong about Dalinar. Right. And Taravangian is then going back and being like, oh no, it wasn't the diagram that was wrong. It was my interpretation of the diagram that was wrong. And I think that this is giving us a big hint about what Hoyd said and that we have mentioned a couple times on this podcast now. Never trust anyone who claims to know the future. Well,
0: but I think that there's a call to that in the book when Odium specifically says that Taravangian put together the diagram without access to future sight. So I think it's less of a prediction of the future. And the way Taravanjian actually describes it is that he was so smart, he was able to make observations and connections between things in the present and like extrapolate from that likely uh, events in the future.
1: But at the same time, you're totally right. I remember that uh, passage from yeah, Odium remarking and then, that like he was amazed that he did this without access to the spiritual realm. But I also don't think he did it without access to the spiritual realm because in that same chapter, it's at the very end of the book when Odium and Teravangian are having their conversation, Teravangian looks at the diagram and sees that he wrote himself a quote that he will now say to Odium, convincing Odium to make the deal with Terravangian. That can't happen, because you're super intelligent in the past, and you see all of the connections. That's got to be a little. I'm not saying it has to, has to be. It seems like that would have to be yeah, a little bit like, of future sight.
0: What if your brain is so augmented that you can, you have the ability to imagine
1: hundreds of future possibilities that's totally cool but that's not what happens in the passage what happens at the end of the book is terror like literally laughs out loud when he looks at a quote and then reads straight from the diagram like he doesn't it does it's not like a hint about like one day maybe odium will show up and you could possibly convince him to do this yeah he literally reads from the diagram and The quote that he says is, paraphrasing, Odium, you can't face Dalinar because you agreed to a battle of champions. You need your agents to work for you. I'll be your agent. You you need me right now. Not forever, but you need me right now. And Odium agrees, and he makes the deal with Terabangian. You're not wrong. About Odin yeah, saying like, that.
0: My impression was that Taravangian had, like, the, this was his contingency plan. That genius Taravangian was like, if you ever get into this situation, because it's possible, like, try this.
1: You totally could be right. I am not 100%, because we also know that Taravangian used the death rattles from Moalak uh-huh. to yeah. augment the diagram. That's true. So I'm not. A hundred percent convinced there was no
0: future site at future all. Future sight at all. Yeah, I think that's fair.
1: Uh, but y- you could be right about like the basis of the diagram, and then augmentations and stuff happen using you know cheating future site Yeah. But what I think is most significant about that final meeting with Teravangian, and re- really the only reason I wanted to talk about Teravangian, <laughs> is because he is going to drop this hint from the diagram that I think is hugely significant. Quote, There, behind where the bed had stood, a section of words that had faded from golden to black. What was that? As he drew near, Teravangian saw that the words were blacked out into eternity, starting from this point on his wall. As if something had happened here, a ripple in what Odium could see. At its root, a name, Renarin Colin. quote.
0: So Renarin is like literally in a blind spot
1: of Odium. Exactly. Odium for whatever, because this is what's happening in this moment when Teravangian sees this, is that Odium is like boosting Teravangian's uh, power of the diagram. Well, yeah,
0: he just comes in and is like... Oh yeah, I know about your diagram. Bam. Yeah, <laughs> like but, this is all of it.
1: Well, yeah, but he's like he's letting Teravangian see the diagram through Odium's eyes. And so when Teravangian cannot see this point, he's viewing that through Odium. So that's like the hint that we know that Odium can't see what's going on with Renar and Colin. This is another in my view Game breaker that's going on. Uh, Renarin is a blind spot to Odium. Yeah. And like, why do you think that is? I have no idea why that is. We know that he has, Renarin has bonded a corrupted Spren.
0: But I. Why it would seems that matter like, to Odium? Yeah, exactly. It seems like that would almost bring him closer to Odium.
1: That is the fear, obviously, that Yasna has. And that's right. the fear that we presented in the last episode when we we're talking about Renarin. But I have no idea why a bonding a corrupted spren would make renarin blind to odium could it be something specific with renarin i don't know what that would be but okay so like there's something with his name there's something about Renarin's name. Oh,
0: maybe one that is that born, he was unto, born himself. unto himself, and that is like a protective layer, sort of.
1: Kind of like maybe there's something going on that's like Harry Potter esque, where like, and, and this is, could be like totally wrong, but like the mother like passed on some protection, or like something is going on with like Renarin himself.
0: What if, like, what if Evie used some sort of like eerie magic when she was pregnant with Fernarin? Possible, because she is like yeah, not around Dalinar, of, or Dalinar yeah, at all.
1: A tradition of uh, cultivation, or like the people from her land—that's normal, uh-huh. that, you know—that like all groups have of just like oh when you're pregnant you should do this to protect the baby
0: and she probably did not with adolin because she was like trying to be a good alethi yeah but then dalinar is gone forever and ever
1: like i i don't mean who knows i know i'm just like literally throwing out random things all i know is that like i think this is a big deal i think that odium not being able to see renarin yeah being able to bond to a corrupted spren it's giving us the hints at like wh- how the in game is going to play out in my opinion and i Yeah,
0: i think that's a good call.
1: I think the in game is also very reliant on our next two characters. So let's
0: Can we well. go to our next game breaker next?
1: You want to Okay, skipping yeah. to the next huge <laughs> game breaker. That is Lift.
0: Lift. So we knew that she was a little bit unique before this. But it's heavily confirmed in Oathbringer that Lyft is a game breaker.
1: Lyft does not play by the rules. By any of the rules, it, it seems doesn't like. doesn't care about rules. Yeah, it's Lyft like, is
0: just like, I'm going to do whatever I want.
1: We see this multiple times, but most significantly is that Lyft is able to, at will, jump into the visions that... Dalinar is having and is at least somewhat protected from Odium's sight as well. She is able to kind of avoid Odium's power.
0: Well, it seems like she can avoid pretty much everyone's power because the Stormfather specifically... Says,
1: too.
0: yeah, because she shows up and Dalinar's like, who are you? Like Stormfather, what the heck? And he's like, I didn't, I didn't invite her. Yeah. And he specifically says, quote, this is a creation specifically meant to defy
1: my will. And he's saying that a creation of cultivation, I think. Like um, he's saying cultivation did this to defy my will.
0: Yeah, because he goes on to say, quote, this child is tainted by the Night Watcher. This is unnatural. She goes too far, which she's referencing the Night Watcher and Cultivation and the hand that they have had in this.
1: Yeah. And I find this very interesting. We talked about how Dalinar's boon and curse were not actually a boon and a curse in the right. traditional sense. They were a, a gift of cultivation, possibly cultivation, plain, a hand... Mm -hmm. She knew she would have to play in the future. But I think she's doing the same thing with Lyft.
0: It does make me wonder. I mean, obviously, we don't know. But Lyft, you know, quote unquote, went to see the Night Watcher, which is exactly what Dalinar said. But it could be that her story is the same as Dalinar's, where that's what she went there for. But she actually ended up interacting with Cultivation herself and not the Night Watcher.
1: Yeah, because we know that Lyft said that she wanted or wished for things to stop changing or for her to stop Just, changing. Just,
0: yeah, herself to stop changing. Yeah,
1: and so she she thinks she's 10 because she, she doesn't count above <laughs> yeah. how many fingers she has. Uh, but she's definitely not 10. She's right. like a teenager, 13, 13 yeah. 14. Yeah. We know she can metabolize Stormlight. Yeah, We know she can interact with Wendell.
0: And Wendell says in Edge Dancer that... Lift must exist at least partially in the cognitive realm in order to be able to interact with him physically the way that she does.
1: Now, we see a bunch of the cognitive realm in Oathbringer, not Lift there, but we do see that it is possible for physical beings to live in the cognitive realm. Uh, yeah, and kind and, of dip in and out. Yeah, and people like. Uh, Chris, Cosmere Scholar, are obviously jumping in and out, and you have the whole city of Silverlight that is not just inhabited by Spren, it also has people there as well. So we know that's not an impossibility, but it seems like, kind of like what Yasna did at the end of Oathbringer, where she described without effort, being able to see into the cognitive realm instantaneously and her powers being much, much greater.
0: Or I'm thinking, I mean, it's kind of just the same as like the emotions, brand that we see in Shadesmar, how... They exist in the cognitive realm, but little pieces of them sort of shine through to the other side.
1: And this would be like the reverse?
0: Yeah. So Lyft is mostly in the physical realm, but there's a little piece of her that's just always sort of dragging or trailing through uh, the cognitive realm.
1: This is just a weird idea, but you know how the Spren manifest in the physical realm as like one part of their body that Uh is all existing in the... Cognitive realm. What if, hmm, what what if like an aspect of Lift's mentality or something is like in the cognitive realm? I was
0: gonna say, what if her stomach is in the cognitive realm? <laughs>
1: just her stomach and, and the that's why she tags. can
0: metabolize stormlight. i mean i know that's like weird but
1: it's definitely weird it but that's what i was sense. saying is like something some part of her is like in the cognitive realm stomach why not there's just like a floating stomach in shades of art. but lift is a game breaker lift doesn't follow the rules Renarin doesn't follow some of the rules both have blind spots or both are blind spots to odium
0: They've got to be important in the larger fight. Like, I wonder, I feel like either Renarin or Lyft has got to go on to be, like, the humans champion against Odium. Like, wouldn't that make sense? Why would you not pick the game breaker to be, like, your point person against the enemy, you know?
1: Well, I think that there is at least some speculation that Lyft is going to be... Uh, that yeah I mean champion. that's what I'm saying Yeah I, I think that that I Maybe I think Renarin could be Like um, the person Who sets up Lift to become the champion Like I think he's mm. super necessary too But I, I think that it's completely On the
0: other hand Renarin actually fought An Oathbringer and Lift has a Stick
1: Wendell just doesn't like hurting things
0: <laughs> <laughs> I also like that when she like Swings him he's like ow when she like
1: Hits things with the stick
0: Wendell's like, "Ow, you're hurting me."
1: So, we have lift the game breaker, but we have another game breaker. I mean, we got game breaker after game breaker. We have another game breaker Do we? in Oathbringer. It is a sentient but not humanoid game breaker. And that Are of, you talking about nightblood Of course I'm talking about <laughs> Nightblood. Let's go over to our boy Seth. Our boy. Yeah. Seth, the assassin in white, what a journey he has had as well. I mean, yeah, from the truthless assassin, killer of Gavilar, we have this growth that happens with the character of Seth leading up to Words of Radiance. He believed that he was banished uh, from his homeland of shinavar for good reason of course he was proven correct the knights the Voidbringers are returning the knights radiant have re-manifested
0: right so he was incorrect about being banished for a good reason
1: oh yes yes but the 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 stated reason why he was banished is because he went around and told right people and they were like you're a liar the Voidbringers are coming back and everybody was like no that's ridiculous desolations are over forever and so now you're banished and he has that whole experience that can at least in part be summarized by the the story of the the wander sale and the the people who mm-hmm. thinking that the king is around and gonna punish them for all of their bad deeds
0: yeah total side note but the like Parables told in these books are Real really important, also. And there was Super. a few told in Oathbringer that I haven't quite been able to like.
1: You can't put all the pieces together yet.
0: Yeah, but I know that they're important.
1: Always pay attention to the stories and the parables. Yes, <laughs> they are. I mean, Tolkien did this as well with telling song or or having the characters singing songs or reading poetry and telling tiny stories within stories. I know modern author uh Pat Rothfuss is well known for this as well, you know, stories or songs within the bigger story, but this is the way that Brandon kind of joins that that group of individuals is like these parallels and stories that are going on in this one, The Girl Who Looked Up was huge, but there were there were several others. Those side stories are super important. Seth, of course, ends words of radiance by being given nightblood by nail and he's going to continue training with nail as a skybreaker his in, relationship
0: with nightblood is so cute
1: i mean it's fairly <laughs> fantastic but zeth goes around training with other skybreakers we find out that yeah the skybreakers were the one group of knights radiant that that never never, went away never went away there were always at least some version of skybreakers we don't know if they were manifesting in the same way in the past but like but like we know that mail was around and we know that the skybreakers never broke up like the other ones so
0: they have like fully formed infrastructure in terms of like chain of command and how they train and blah blah blah
1: what i found most interesting about that like kind of training montage is how much Zeth was able to resist the kind of urge that other Skybreakers had, other Skybreakers in training had, where they were almost just like following the orders of Nail, no questions asked that, you know, we need to go kill these people. I think they were in the Pure Lake uh, and it was like, criminals are abound, go catch the criminals and, and kill them or find them. And Zeth basically just, like, questioned the entire thing. He's like, why are we doing this? Like, what are the rules here? What are the laws here? Well, I think it was just very
0: clear that Zeth is more mature and more experienced than
1: anyone else. So, And not just the other Skybreakers in training. I also think that he has had more significant growth as a person than Nail, the the herald of justice.
0: That's interesting.
1: Because... At the near the end of the book, before he joins Dalinar, Nail and Zeth are flying above the battlefield, and Nail specifically remarks when Zeth asks, Can I pick a person to swear my third ideal to instead of a set of laws? And Nail says, Yeah, some of the other skybreakers in training are swearing their third ideal to me. But I don't know if that's a good idea because I feel like I'm getting worse. Nail is suffering the deterioration that all of the, we believe all the heralds are suffering from. But he actually calls it out and actually yeah. gives voice to well, that concern.
0: And I think that that's part of the arc that we see him begin in Edge Dancer. Yes, as His sort of brings to his attention like... Hey bro, what are you doing? And he's like, "Oh my god, what is happening to me?"
1: And so Zeth is going to of course in that conversation with Nail, uh Nail is going to point out, you know, "Don't make the same mistake that you made in the past of swearing your allegiance to men. Men are the things that caused your pain, all of your pain, all of your failures." came because you followed men and then seth drops his big line when he says quote perhaps i was simply forced to follow the wrong men end quote
0: which is like very noble but to be honest i agree with nolan i was like happy to see zeth you know join the fight for good with dalinar and friends but i was a little bit like that seems (laughs)
1: ill-advised But he does. He joins Dalinar, zooms down to help out, and of course, bringing with him that game breaker sword that is Nightblood. Nightblood. Nightblood is fully unleashed. We see it a little bit in Warbreaker. There are, um, but it's it's mainly just moments. It's like hinting at what Nightblood could be. Zeth, straight up pulls Nightblood out the sheath, throws the sheath.
0: Well, and he is able to do that because of the sort of perpendicularity thing that's yes. created because Stormlight, Nightblood can just endlessly pull on the Stormlight and not kill Zeth.
1: Until he almost does and nearly does uh, kill Zeth. But Nightblood is just wrecking the soldiers and eventually an entire Thunderclast is brought down by Nightblood, am I remembering that moment correctly?
0: I don't remember that moment, but like we've said, there's so much happening. I, I, I feel like I was actually at the battle. Like I'm <laughs> so overwhelmed. Exactly, there's too was much. Happening.
1: We're suffering PTSD from <laughs> the battle. Like yeah. our memories going. I know. I think. I think. Night. I think Zeth uses uh, Nightblood to vanquish a uh, Thunderclass. I could totally be wrong about this moment, but like I think that that happened. I could. Call me out, people, on on the Twitter, on the Reddit. Uh, But we know that Nightblood is a game breaker. We know that Nightblood is able to feed on any type of investiture that is available, including the souls of a people, uh, and it will just do that continually until it's put in its sheath, which we do believe is made out of aluminum. Is that correct?
0: I don't know. I th- I don't think so because I think it's described as being black
1: if I'm not No, it's mistaken. uh it's it's specifically called out uh as a I think there is black on the the actual sheath but the the edge is described as a silvery metal and I I think that it's actually something that Odium wants. Odium and he you might get it for a moment. Uh but like Odium wants the sheath of nightblood uh, because it has aluminum. And we know that aluminum in the Cosmere uh, has the ability to kind of nullify other types of magic going on. Let's move to our last character, unless you have anything to say about Zeth or nightblood.
0: Um, I guess like my only disappointment with Zeth is that we, didn't learn much more about his backstory which is what i'm really interested in because i would love to hear more about the shin culture and why he was thrown out and stuff like that but one little tidbit that we got that i thought was super intriguing was quote i knew a voice like yours once Sword nimi the whispers no a single one in my mind when i was young zeth shaded his eyes looking across the glistening lake I hope things go better this time, end quote.
1: Now, when he he says, when I was young, which basically removes the possibility that this is what a voice he was hearing during, like, Way of Kings or Words of Radiance.
0: Right. Well, Um, and that's what he says, like, when nightblood asks asks him if it's the whispers the whispers are like those voices of the dead that he's killed since way of kings so he's talking about before that i'm thinking in relation to whatever got him declared truthless
1: and we also learn a little bit about his backstory uh in shinavar because he remarks and i think this is a big deal he remarks that he has trained with all of the honor blades yeah
0: except for like one or two i think he says but ones that
1: the shin people don't have right uh but yeah all the honor blades that the shin have which i think it was eight or possibly seven or eight yeah Yeah. um he's trained with all of those and he calls he we learned this when he witnesses lift and her like paddle movement because she is not good enough of a (laughs) edge dancer to move around on her feet and kind of skate across the environment. Instead, she's down on her knees and Zeth calls us out. He's basically like, I could do better because I trained as a young person with the edge dancer on her blade.
0: Right, which is also what makes him such a powerful warrior because not only is he practiced with having the surges, but he's practiced with how to fight against them as well.
1: Yes, and I think that that is is going to be hugely important. Like he might become like a professor of the Knights Radiant in some way, like, you know, teaching everyone and kind of leading the training of the Knights Radiant. That would be very cool. Okay, let's move on. To our final character, probably one of the most interesting characters and one of the most significant in the next book or, or possibly the fifth book in the Stormlight Archive. Uh, but this is Venley. Venley, the original Parshendi who learned how to capture Stormform, brought along the Everstorm, brought along Odium.
0: And we see her in a very different place in this book. She is having a lot of regret and remorse and doubt about her past actions.
1: What I found most interesting about the development of her character is that she was appointed to be kind of a evangelist for odium uh in what was called envoy form which is a form of power
0: yes but but it's like the least powerful form of power kind
1: of yeah but she's given this role of going around to the other listeners
0: Well, not the listeners. She goes to the former Parshman, which they don't really have a name for them, but it's specifically those of their race who used to be Parshman slaves, and she tells this carefully crafted story that she has memorized, that she was given to say about the listener history.
1: So she is a... Means of propaganda for yes, odium. exactly. I think that that's the best way to look at it. She is a propagandist and...
0: So she's trying to unite all of the Parshmen and say, no, you're not all, you know, different Parshmen from Alethi from, or uh, sorry, from Kolinar, from different places but you're all part of the same people we have the same story and us as a group need to fight them the enemy
1: what i find most interesting about this role is that venly does not appear to be in a super powerful position with odium like it seems like odium doubts her or at least recognizes that she has her own doubts And it is not as if Venli is being set up to become Odium's champion or anything like that.
0: Right. She's, like, under house arrest.
1: Almost. Yeah, absolutely. And what I think is, you know, most telling about this kind of rift that's developing in Venli is that she literally bonds, or at least kind of comes close to bonding, two different spren. She has the void spren that makes her envoy form and previously made her things like storm form but she also has a do we know what type of spren timber is or even if he's a normal spren
0: um I believe it is a normal spren so she comes across timber I think around the body of Aishinai right yes the first time yeah Mm -hmm. and she like hides it from odium which is a physical depiction of her like struggle if she wants to stay void or like go good um but i think that it is oh shoot i want to say a light spren what kind of spren is captain eco it's been suspected, anyway, that Timber is the daughter of Captain Eco, who is a Spren that ferries the gang in Shadesmar. He has a comment that his daughter used to work at a particular shop until she ran off chasing stupid dreams.
1: And so we assume that Spren don't like when their other... Their- Siblings or daughters or whatever run off to the physical realm. That would be the stupid yeah, dream of because, like bonding with a human. Because
0: sill is spoken of in like almost the same exact words yeah. of like she ran off chasing dreams.
1: But it's it's definitely not Syl that Captain Eco is referencing. Right. So he's referencing someone else. Who is that? Someone else possibly Timber. But while early on this relationship is just. A kind of protection thing of like, come here, little Spren, you can hang out with me I guess for now, this eventually turns into a Night's Radiant situation, right?
0: Yeah, she ends up bonding to it uh, at the very end of the book and it's surprising because she didn't know, none of the fans knew that she would be able to bond to Spren. She still has the Spren that's making her envoy form and in her gem heart, she's able to like fit timber in there too.
1: Yeah. And so this is obviously the first time we've seen anything like this. We don't have a whole bunch of information about the ramifications of this, but by the end of Oathbringer, Venley has bonded to Spren. And conceivably, this could be just a simple physical representation of the split between void and you know risharian but it also could be hinting at the fact that maybe there is not a physical limit to the spren that you can bond like if she can bond two maybe she can bond three and maybe it's only a thing you can do if you have a gem heart so maybe the humans can only bond one but for some reason you know relating to like this ancient ability of like reincarnation or something the listeners are able to bond multiple spren simultaneously like we really just don't know because we don't have
0: this is the first example
1: yeah and even the first time we meet any of the parshendi they are broken people who don't know their own history and are kind of rediscovering things so We don't have a whole bunch of detail about what this means, but she says the first ideal. She bonds to Timber and also has another spren inside of her making her, or a void spren, making her envoy form. What does this mean? What are your theories out there in the not Cosmere world, just the people who love the Cosmere? Uh What... Do you think this means for Thenly? What do you think this means for the Stormlight Archive? What theories do you have about any of these characters? Or, you know, shout out some characters that we didn't mention.
0: I just want to make a quick call that not everyone may know. Timber is also a call to the music theory.
1: Absolutely, Timber. Uh, do you- it's
0: actually pronounced like timbre Or something and I'm not gonna do a good description of it but it has to do with like the uh, sound quality like it's used in relation to people's voices a lot the timbre of their voice was XYZ
1: so we're gonna continue to learn all about that music theory and probably do an entire episode just talking about the music theory in the future cuz there's so much Give us a shout out on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, at Cosmere Convo.
0: Until next time, life before death,
1: strength before weakness,
0: journey before destination.